0: Nuku 60 is Kura Paul Burke. She is a Māori marine ecologist, scientific diver, and transdisciplinary researcher with extensive pragmatic knowledge combining mātauranga Māori and Western science to assist co-developed kaitiakitanga. As well as her role as an Associate Professor for Mātai Moana with the University of Waikato, she works with rangatahi to teach free diving and has spent much time dedicated to the restoration of mussel beds in Ōhiwa Harbour. In this episode, we talk about the importance of our moana environments, we discuss the benefits of combining mātauranga Māori with Western science, and we learn that although Kura spends much of her time underwater, this wahine is not the greatest swimmer. Whakarongo mai. Kia ora, I'm kiāne. Nuku is a movement. We're empowering indigenous wahine to be agents of change. Cultivating opportunities to shape the world we want. Through this series, we're meeting 100 kick Indigenous wahine doing things differently. They show us how the world can be shaped by our unique Indigenous voice. It's all about who we are and not who we've been told to be. Nuku, mahine, mōhine, kia hine. Kia
1: ora
0: kura, Paul Burke.
1: Kia ora. How are
0: you? you? Hi. <laughs> Koe, how are you? We just, uh You and I just spent the morning at the Moana, and so uh, I'm feeling quite good, although I'm very jealous I didn't get to have a swim and dive in like you did. <laughs> what, it was warm though, wasn't it? It was beautiful. It was beautiful. So we're down here in Papamua, uh, but this is not your hometown. This is your current kainga. Hi. Tell me a little bit about where you're from and where you grew
1: up. Well um, straight away I was going to go into ipakike Hariaho Ikawero. i, haere ahau I mm. um but uh kopitauaki me tpareoterau o ku kofakatane me ponga kawa o ku awa ah uh, me ah puke o ku so um, i'm ngatsiawa and e Ngāti e, but i grew up in kawerau uh, in the in the seventies, I was born in the mid sixties, mm. so I grew up in Kowdow, which was a thriving place back in those days. Um, and yeah, what was your childhood
0: like? Mm. Got lots of siblings?
1: Uh, yeah, I ha- yes, I do. I have um, I have lots of half. I have some half brothers and sisters, as we all must, yep, as we do, as we do. <laughs> and I, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm there. And uh, but we grew up. Um, we were quite, uh, uh, we were quite poor. We didn't have a car, and uh, we grew up in uh, a street called Diamond Street. And as as kids, we used to call it Sunset Boulevard. Oh wow! Because I guess we watched American TV, and yeah. it made us feel like that our street was a rich street or a fancy street. But um. Yeah, we, in one stage, I remember as a child, we had no furniture, but my um, grandmother, who I'd never met, was coming up, was coming over home from Ashburton, and so she got off the bus, and uh, while my mum was in the kitchen at one end of, because I grew up in the state house, of the house, um, her mate, um, she was a copra. Um, Our auntie Moisa And she came to the front door And we unloaded her sitting room Into our sitting room Wow So by the time my grandmother came into uh, She was having a cup of tea Came into the house Like into the rest of the house We had couches And a coffee table And a rug and stuff Oh wow Yeah And uh, well we had bean bags But we didn't have It was just at that moment in time Mm. But um, Yeah so My mother's Irish Fall Irish, uh, but she was born here. But um, her father disowned her when she married my dad because he's Māori. So back in those days, sad. Sad. Mm.
0: When you were, you know, at that age and there wasn't a lot of money in your whānau, were you a hunter-gatherer whānau? Did you go out and did you have mara? Did you go to the moana to get kai? Or was it just... Not a lot of money, so having to go to
1: the shop to get it was a, both. We had a māra. I hated our māra. <laughs> <laughs> you know why I hated it? I hated weeding. <laughs> and then when I got a bit older, I hated mowing around it because all the you know how the the pumpkin how it all grows oh, and yeah. spreads and it's like oh, you have to pick it up and I'm already mowing the lawns. <laughs> and uh, so we had a mara, um It was a big one. Uh, You know, because back in those days, state houses were, you know, all sections were like quarter acre. Mm. And so, um, but we didn't, I never went to the Moana because we lived in Kaurau, which is inland, and we never had a car. We couldn't afford a car. So, um, but we went to the river, so um, Tarawera, And so I grew up, um, we just spent all our time at the river. That's what I remember as a child was the river. Wow. And uh, Watercress.
0: I... (laughs) we'll get to what you do for mahi (laughs) at the moment, which interests me that you didn't grow up around the moana given the mahi that you do today. Mm. But some of your mahi that you have previously done is working in a kohangareo and then also becoming an early childhood lecturer. And I'm interested in where that passion for the manaaki of our tamariki and Mukapuna came from.
1: Oh, yeah, I love Tamariki Mukufana. <laughs> love them. You know, for Koanga Reo, my whole life, I was searching for my reo. Always, but you know, like um, in the 70s, because um, uh, my other name is Darwin, but in the 70s, um, the teachers didn't call you Kura. They called you your Pākehā yeah. name or they gave you your Pākehā name or they bastardised your name so badly that nobody recognised you if they spoke real. Mm. So my whole life I was searching, mm. like yearning. It's, it's like, and you're unaware of it, but you're completely aware of it. And, um, and so when I had my son, uh, he's 30 now, and went to Koanga Um, uh, it wasn't even a choice. It was, this is where he's going because he's not going to search. Like I did, and I took him to Kohanga and then I thought, hmm, I could do this because I just loved it. There was this real, and we, and you know, and there's all different levels of real, and uh, in the and the Kohanga, So I went to school as a, a single parent. I went to school to uh, university and did early childhood. Mm. Uh, always with um, that I was going to Kohanga. and then I wanted to know difference. I wanted to know why um, kindergarteners work this way and Kohanga work this way in terms of uh, the curriculum and the resources and why does this centre seem way more affluent than that one and when you're in the same neighbourhood. So I worked at both, at um, early childhood and Kohanga. So I would have a more rounded view.
0: Mm.
1: But really, I just, I love babies <laughs> love the babies love them how many babies have you got we have five wow. I only wanted six <laughs> after our last I said to my son, I said to my husband so we have three boys and now we have two girls let's have one more like the Brady bunch and he went Mm, no. <laughs> so we have five and it's his fault. Uneven number. Oh,
0: but see, you got Mukapuna now. So I do. it's rounding it slightly, rounding it off, it's adding right. some more, yep. adding a few more. How did you then transition from early childhood education to the Mahi that you do now? Because at the moment, I mean, you're an associate professor, Matai Moana, so marine research at the University of Waikato. You are. A marine ecologist and travelling around the Motu to do your mahi in the Moana. Where, where did that? Where did the early childhood to? <laughs> what do you mean? They're totally connected. <laughs> Think it through. They're connected.
1: Where did that transition come in, and why? Uh, well, I, I surf. No, let me, let me rephrase it. I tried to say, <laughs> and, uh, and for a long time, I lived up um, the Tairawhiti and over there and did waka ama. So I loved the moana, mm-hmm. uh, always just drawn to it, even though I was brought up uh, in kawero. And uh, and one of my marae is right on the moana at Fogina. But um, when I met my tani, uh, we went out to Fakari because he's a diver and had a boat. Oh, <laughs> um, bonus. <laughs> and uh, we were coming back from facardi We'd spent the night out there, stepped on the boat and um, he'd gone spearfishing and and I'd gone, you know, flapping around on the surface like a snorkeler. And on the way home, um, I just thought, this is what I want to do. This is what I've always wanted to do, but I don't want to get in the water and go, oh, what a pretty fish. I want to know everything I can know about that fish or mm. whatever. So I went back to... Uh, to uni when I was a lecturer as early childhood and resigned. And then went back to school with five kids. My youngest was eight months, I think, and um, started as a first year marine student. Wow. It was mean. I loved it. Diving. I I can't even swim that good.
0: And that interests me because you can't swim, but you can dive.
1: There's a difference because when you dive, if you have on a wetsuit, it makes you more buoyant, more floaty, mm. and uh, and if you do if you do free diving, so you have a wetsuit on, so you're more buoyant, and if you have a scuba, if you're doing scuba diving where you're breathing underwater, then you have this thing. It's called like a BCD, and uh, and that makes you even more floaty. Eh, it's fine. <laughs> I'm not a good swimmer. How many years did you have to study
0: for the for the marine ecology? Three, just like, it's a degree. Oh, so this is a normal three-year degree.
1: Yeah, but I did the, um, but mine's applied science. So mm-hmm. that means it's like in the water diving, not look, I don't want to look at pictures. Mm-hmm. I want to be in the water. Because that's kaitiakitanga.
0: And so tell me a little bit about that, a bit about kaitiakitanga, about what? what's your day-to-day mahi? Where are you going? What are you doing? And what are you achieving by doing that?
1: My day to day, Mahi. Well, you know, like everyone else, it varies. There's mm-hmm. uh, there's moments when I'm in the office, but the bulk of my time, I'm not in the office. Um, let me think how. So, so like it's it, it's it's really varied, But I work with hapuiwi, Coastal Fano, uh, working with our people to to better understand and care for. The uh, rohe moana, whether it be marine species like mussels, kina, whatever, or the spaces mm. within. So species and spaces. And so kaitiakitanga is uh, looking at restoration, uh, monitoring and management as, a, as an overall thing. Because kaitiakitanga can't be where you just sit and talk about it. I don't believe. Because tanga is action. Mm. Denotes action. So we can all be kaityaki or for whatever or whatever. But if there's no action, then it's not kaityaki tanga. Mm. So we can't, so you know, like um like Yohaba, we can't sit and, if we just sit and talk about it and in intellectual and have a and think about it intellectually um, some people would say that's quite Tanga. But for me, if there's no proactive action, then we're missing the core component. Get out there and do something, mm. and so and I find that really, um, really exciting. With um, working with our with hapu and iwi, when we co-develop, you know, understanding what our needs and issues and aspirations and priorities are, and it's always it always comes down to the same for our mokopuna for tomorrow.
0: And it's it's varied because when we think about the health of our moana, our harbors, our do freshwater and salt water, salt salt water. So when we think about the health of these things, we we understand that there is so many things happening under the water that we don't see. Yeah, and sometimes we look out at the moana and we go, "Oh, that's beautiful. That looks beautiful. It must be healthy," but often it's not. Do you, can you tell us sort of like the overall state of our moana at the moment? It, I know it'll vary from rohe to rohe, but
1: we're in a not a great place overall. We're not in a great place. Period. Mm. Um, um, our ocean, our hene moana is hurting. That makes me emotional. Mm. Yeah, no, we're not in a good place. So how can we, if all of us as Tangata whenua, how can we look at our moana and know that that's that we're that's what we're leaving our mokopuna for tomorrow in the state that it's in. So uh, we have, you know, everyone's heard of climate change and warming ocean temperatures and things like that. They have massive impacts on our Tonga species. Tonga species Um, I describe like marine taonga species as those species that are tipuna, um, that they harvested before colonisation and the practices and the mātauranga around those particular species, say kina, uh, are still practiced today. They survived colonisation and today we are still gathering the same kai in similar ways as our tupuna, so hetaunga species, thena, or mm. um, but no, our ocean isn't in the greatest. Um, this they call it um, ocean acidification, and what that does is it changes the chemical, the the compo- the, the makeup of the water for our moana. And one of the impacts of that is like, if you think of cuckoo, green lip mussels, it makes their shells thinner and more fragile so they're easier to be eaten by other species. Did you know that? Oh, no. So everything, and, and it's us, it's iratangata, it's humans, it's us. Everything we do has an impact on our moana, our awa, our estuaries, our harbours,
0: and most of that impact is coming off the land or yeah. m- much of it is coming off the land. Yes. Whether that be, we hear a lot about farming practices and you know the runoff that goes into the awa, the awa that feeds into the moana. So we hear about that side of it. But also um, recently I've learned so much more around the felling of trees yep. and how actually when you cut all those trees down the soil is much looser and so when there's a heavy rain that all washes down and all that sediment goes into our moana and that has an impact. Correct. And then of course we have the things that we hear all the time that many of us still don't really change our behaviours around which is plastic and the amount of plastic that we have and the microplastics that go into the moana Uh, plus a lot of the pollution and the wastewater that just gets pumped out, our stormwater drains that get pumped out. When you're um doing the mahi that you do, what's the most surprising thing you've you've seen, learnt, or come across in in your time of researching in and around the moana? Or well, does nothing surprise you anymore?
1: Everything surprised me. That's why I love it. <laughs> every every day is different. You have no idea what's gonna happen because we're just a visitor. Mm. I think the most surprising thing um, is how fantastic uh, mātauranga Māori is, mm. how useful, how real and and how appropriate it is in the work that we do, uh, mātauranga aiwi um, in terms of like restoration, uh, restoring, we have a project in Ohiwa Harbour in the Eastern Bay of Plenty by Fakatani, where our muscles have declined dramatically over the years. Uh, excuse me. And at first we uh, we thought way back in two thousand and six everyone thought that because there had been you just talked about erosion, uh, that there was a massive landslide. and that in two thousand and five, and so they thought, oh, all that paru-paru or that runoff and sediment coming into the water has smothered the mussels. that's why they're disappearing. Um, and then they thought about it some more and other people said, no, I think it's because we're humans, we've been too greedy and we're over harvesting. but they'd had a rahui since 2003 and actually in the end they had a, a continuous rahui for close on eight and a half years. Ah. So um, I had one person say to me that a rahui, you know, and a rahui is a temporary no-take closure, you know, where you can't take kai from a particular place. And um, a person said to me, oh, well, that rahui was a waste of time, you know, for eight eight or so years because you know, the muscles are still disappearing. And I said to him, kaiti no, that rahui was really important. You know, mātauranga, Māori marine practices, because what that rahui told us was that it's not humans. Well, it's not over harvesting, it's still humans, but mm. it's, not, it's not us being too greedy taking the muscles because that rahui eliminated humans out of the problem. And so that was one variable that it was not. So our rahui, in terms of science, was a really valuable tool. Um, I can go on and tell you how amazing Mato Ranga is, and, and the practicalities that we use in our research for restoring um, muscles. We use um, tikoka cabbage tree. You know when the you know when those cabbage tree leaves when they fall to the ground and get stuck in your lawnmower. Yeah, they're all in my driveway. Yep. Mm, yeah, and you and you know when you mow your lawns and they and they and they kind of shred but yeah. don't, and your lawnmower can't cut it up. Yeah. Well, tikoka. Um, so what we do is we use the bio-waste, the, um, the fallen leaves from the ground, and then I soak them, we soak them, and then we whiri-whiri or weave mm. and plait them like you would harakeke. And we create um, natural resource, biodegradable, using bio waste coka muscle lines. And we hang them in our harbour, and we are growing our own mussels. You talked earlier about microplastic pollution, this eliminates or helps to reduce microplastic pollution in our kaimwana, in our mwana, and I'm going to say it, in our mokopuna. Mm. So um, mātauranga āiwi using traditional tools and knowledge to assist contemporary environmental problems.
0: What's the response been to that? Because the, the acceptance of mātauranga Māori as science is not always freely welcomed, especially in the academic world. Totally. So what is what has the response been to that knowing what you're doing by including mātauranga Maori with Western science or you know, Maori science and Western science together um, and it proving
1: successful? The response now is um, good, mm. I think. But when I started doing it um, in 2007, we started the way, the whole way we conduct our research and and science is just different. And so I was, I never talked about it out loud. I never went to conferences. Mm, That was not going to happen. That's a cow. I never published because most um, scientific journals aren't accessed by our people anyway. So who was going to benefit? It wouldn't be Māori. Mm. So for... Probably about a, a decade uh, longer. I've, I've at least ten years. I never talked out loud about our mahi, other than with the four iwi, and then over time the three councils you know that we work with now. But um, because the way we do science is different, we don't. I don't approach science um, in the completely objective way that most scientists do, where you where humans are removed from the world. Mm. Because we're a species. We're a destructive and sometimes constructive species, but we're still a species. We fucker to the other species in the world. So um so back then it was really it was difficult. It was hard, but I don't know any other way. My dad came with me a lot on the boat and we miss him. Mm. He was uh, and he was, oh, you need to go and talk to and so all of our Research starts with talking with the old people. And then um, and then with the old people, then we say, well, what is it you want to know? Tridi- uh, Western science, as a scientist, I would walk in and say to you, okay, girl, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And you just, and, and Marty left like, oh, wait, you're doing this to me. Mm. You're not doing it with me. Yes. Whereas, whereas the way we do research is starting with the question: What is it? What do we need to know? And then we sit down and and problem solve and try to figure out how can we answer that question.
0: And is that how? Is was that another element of the Ohiwa Haba Mahi, and that you took the co and Korea out onto the water and said, where were your Where were the muscle beds
1: once? When you were little, I used to say, when you were young fella or young fella Essa to the nannies, (laughs) and they all are, where did you used to go? Because when they were little, that means someone took them. Mm. Their auntie, their uncle, their older, someone older took them, which would take us back further years and all that intergenerational knowledge. So um, I think the the furthest we ever went back was someone talking about the late 30s. And, uh, and they'll say, when I was a young fellow, we used to go here or whatever. And then they would say, and these are the landmarks we used. And so while they're talking, I take notes and stuff. And then I, then I say, can I, is this the mark? And they will tell, like, our kaumātua, um our nannies and koros, it's quite heavy. It's tāumaha, mm. um, because it's a weight of responsibility about um, respecting their matauranga, their knowledge, but promoting it at the same time. So how do we promote our knowledge, but protect it and respect it at the same time and and uh, do my master's thesis? That took me 18 months to figure out. And when I went back and told them, they said to me, you're dumb. That's really easy. What <laughs> took you so long? But no one was doing science the way that we were doing mm. it. But um, if you don't have uh, the old people as your tuara to keep your backbone, you know, to keep your backbone warm, are you doing... Should you be doing it? Mm. I don't know.
0: Is it important? So, from a, um, a bit more of a practical perspective, if we're thinking of that Matauranga, thinking of learning about those spaces, and, and in particular Ohi Wahaba and these particular Kaimata and Kuya, them identifying where traditionally those mussel beds, where all those fishing grounds were, is that just as important to replant? muscles in that same space, because if that's where they once grew, that's where they will continue to grow. And there's something about that particular area is from a very practical perspective. Is that what the aim would be?
1: Great question. Really good question. Uh, Yes, and maybe. (laughs) (laughs) And that's like a Hey. Um, <laughs> yes, so uh, so going back to Ohiwa, because um, it's a really good example. Mm. So we have uh, restoration stations for them and uh, in the harbor and they are all um, they have all been placed uh, based on where the traditional beds used to be. Because we were lucky, we went down and so the old people said, "This is where I used to go to get muscles and the bed ends here, starts there, whatever." And then we went down and dove it and um, mapped the exact size and shape of the bed um, over time. So we watched it move and change and grow, and and that helped. The, um, then that helped our hapu and iwi to make decisions because they had visuals as well as numbers. There were 112 million. Now there's only two million. And they're in these places. So, yes, our restoration stations are where the bees used to be for generations. But is that still the best place now? Mm. Because they're not there, and, and, and those things muscles have changed. Naturally moved. Well, muscles. Oh, puppies move all the time, and muscles do move. Like they move and grow too. But is if what is the best? Um, what is the best place for muscles to be restored to today? Because mm. today is different from yesterday. Climate change. Mm. So that's a question we're actually grappling right now with our with the iwi there, with our partners, and um, we all scratch our heads. And but you know, but we're doing it together. We're all problem solving it together.
0: And muscles are a, growing. Muscles is. Everyone's like, people's mouths are watering as we're talking about this. Oh, let's talk about kinna then. (laughs) But muscles are not, we're not restoring muscles specifically for kai.
1: No. Muscles clean
0: the way, is that right? Yeah,
1: they're called uh, ecosystem engineers. Mm. And an ecosystem is just the or the place where you live, that's your ecosystem. And all the species and plants and water or whatever, that's your ecosystem. Uh, And engineers, because they alter the environment by their mere presence. So um, if you have a whole lot of mussels, uh, like say a real bed, if you like, um, they provide places for other species to hide from predators. Um, They also, and they're koi, so you can eat them too. Mm. But because they have a hard shell, um, places like where sandy muddy harbours or, you know, the muddy gluggy muddy, that's called a soft bottom because it's soft. And that's harder for other other species to live. So mussels provide a home because mm. you know, like when you get mussels and they have like barnacles and stuff going on them, yeah. and the, yeah, so other species also live on them as well. So they create a hard surface for other animals to attach to and live and grow. So they're they're hugely important ecologically as well as and they and they filter six to nine liters of water a day, you know, they're they amazing. They they wow. can clean the paru out of your, out of a harvest.
0: And what the, see, I've heard a, a lot about kina and I host another podcast um called Hauraki Golf Corridor, which is around the Hauraki Golf um, te, moana, te moana otoi, and um te no and that there is an issue in the Horaki with too much kina. And so I'm interested to know about the balance of all of these things. Because in some areas, we don't have enough of something. In another area, we have too much. How do we try and find this balance?
1: Oh, <laughs> that's a massive a question. But you're right about <laughs> kina, that if you have like, I remember doing a presentation and and at a, at a wānanga and say, you know, and there's too many kina, and, and someone said, what? <laughs> and, like, and they were looking at me like with those, you know how we do, you know how we all do those suspicious eyes. Like what? And and they were like, you can you ever have too many kina? Such a thing. That's right. Because if you have too many kina, then they eat or the algae or the seaweed. Ah. And you know how we just talked about mussels um, providing habitat and mm-hmm. food, and, and seaweed are the same. And so if you, if there's too many kinna, then they eat all the seaweed and that decreases the number of species that can live and grow. And so it's actually really a bad thing. And also they're skinny. Mm. When you go to eat them, <laughs> your and your fat. I actually forgot what your question was because <laughs> I, was, I was actually thinking of Kenan because I love diving. You started for getting Kenna. distracted, and your mouth—that's my favourite thing to dive for.
0: Yeah, no, it was the corridor really just around how you know finding balance. But then I think the greater question is how do we find balance in in our moana? You know, some of our harbour we mm. can say are clean, other well, I guess clean to a point. Um, you might have a very different perception of what clean is. And then other parts of our harbour and other parts of the country are definitely not clean. They're not well. They've, they're you know, deteriorated their Māori. Um, There's so many variants across Aotearoa that it's really hard to go, where do you start? Where do you start? What do you do?
1: How do you, what? Just that. Mm. Like, Again, it's easy to say, so um like you talked about balance and and that um I forgot what I was gonna say about the balance.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Cause I started thinking Still about colour.
1: Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, but um but but you just start really like uh like in Ohio we started with um how what is the state of the muscles was the question. And mm-hmm. I remember um, being briefed, you know, with the runana because I went to the runana I was still a student. I was still doing my um, marine degree. I was like only a second year student and she was saying, and the environmental manager, amazing woman, um, she was saying all these big things and I, I remember writing there like, what the beep is that? <laughs> my, all, all my notes were like all these words I had no idea what she was talking about. Mm. And then I thought, okay, well, we'll just, we'll start. we'll start with the old people. And then they will tell us what the issues are. And then we'll, and then we'll talk with other people, but, you know, kaitiakitanga can't just be talking. Mm. So, and then we'll get in the water and then we'll go and have a look. And then, you know, we didn't have uh, a definite strategic plan. We're going to, we just were, okay, well, let's, and then the more you learn, the less you know. Mm. But when we co-develop um, with our whanau, you know, you, it's just everybody has has knowledge. Everybody knows something and it's just piecing all those pieces together. And so that's how um, all of our mahi, that's how we do all of our mahi. We have a cup of tea and then the cup of tea follows. That's the prelude to the action. Mm. And we go out and do something.
0: And we talk about the value of the knowledge from our kaimata and kuya. but you're also doing a lot of mahi with yeah, and empowering our young people to participate and be active kaitiaki. And you have um, got mahi with them. So teaching them to free dive? Yes. So what's the dif- what's, what is free diving? What is the difference between free dive, just not with a tank? Is that what we're talking yeah. about? Yeah, free
1: dive is amazing.
0: <laughs> free dive is what most of us do when we go and get
1: kai yeah, It's exactly that. It is, it is all that. It's like, it's not without a t- It's where you hold your breath. Mm. You hold your breath and you dive down and get a kai or you dive down and do stuff and then you come back up and breathe breathe at the surface. And then uh, scuba is where you use a tank and you breathe continuously underwater. So yeah, so we work with Taiohi. Um, and because, you know, when I, I, when I was going up on Kauru, whenever someone was going to go out fishing or whatever to the moana, I was never asked. Mm. Do we ever ask our honeys, our girls? Do we say to Kotiro, do you want to come? No, we ask Toma. And so when I was when I was younger, no one ever, or maybe I was an egg, but um but no, <laughs> that possibility. But but no one ever ever asked my sisters or I if we wanted to go fishing on the boat. And so and that is a thing for me. So um we started doing um dive girls. And my my Tanya and I, and he's a free dive instructor. We're both dive instructors, he's also a free dive instructor. And um so we just I went to uh, three of the hapu that are associated with Ohiwa Harbour because we're doing our mahi there, and said to them, i um, you interested. If you are, give us two of your girls." And so we took uh, over. They were over 18, those ones, and um, and we taught them to free dive. So, so it's about connectivity. Mm. Like it's it's really like you said earlier. It's really easy to look at our moana and go, "Oh yeah, it's beautiful." It's, it's healthy, it's lovely. And then it's something else to be, you know, people who surf, swim, to be in that water and then and to feel connected and then to observe and experience whatever you observe and experience. So it was about uh, providing opportunity for our girls to access our moana, but to access us with purpose. So they're the ones who know how to dive um, wow like mean awesome wow and then they're the ones who put the kai on the table
0: and then to also leave with the tohu
1: oh yeah so, so they qualify. The,
0: not only the skill the knowledge the experience but then also the tohu and possibly opening opening their eyes up to mahi that they maybe didn't consider
1: all of that it's, and they do w- walk away with the tohu so they either walk away with uh, an international they walk away with international free dive tohu mm-hmm. depending on where they go so um the first level is to five meters hold your breath five meters down five meters up and then there's also risk you got to rescue someone so you got to then dive down again and rescue someone at five meters and so on and then the next level is uh 10 meters and then you can go on to 20 meters wow. and so on it's uh it's it's awesome, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and our tayo here, our rangatahi, are amazing. We've had one hundred percent attendance. They don't miss any classes. We have uh, no rules. Mm. You know, like we, well, there are rules, but um, they're not rules. It's just, come on, you can do this. Let's do it. And then it's all about self esteem, self confidence, and a skill that's useful.
0: With all the mahi that you do the mahi that you're doing around the Mutu with hapu and iwi to help to restore their harbours, their moana, with the mahi that you're doing with taiohi, with rangatahi, what is it that you're hoping to achieve
1: in I'm, your time? I'm hoping for... Oh, actually, I'm not hoping um, because we're already starting. Um, I'm, I'll i say hoping. <laughs> uh, but um, I am. No, not, well, not me, but we. Yeah. Um, wahine. Um, ne, uh, ma, uh, and Tangata whenua, that you know that we will not only reclaim and reshape the way that we view and interact and care for the, our Ta and our moana, but that we lead the way that it's that, it's, that we do that. Um, just step aside mm. and make ourselves emerge and let's emerge to the front and change the way our world has been treated?
0: For those of us that are not scientists, that are not, um, you know, that maybe don't necessarily feel that we have any of the skill that we assume is needed to make a start, those everyday Joes, S's. Joesses, <laughs> Joesses of us who like to swim in the moana or surf in the moana. What are some basic things that we could do for the spaces that we're engaging with?
1: So many. You know, when you go to get pipi, um, write down, we you collected your pipi and measure them with a ruler. Measure them along with the long, you know, the length, mm. and then just keep, a, just keep a record of that because pipi move. All the time, But same with your kutai or your kuku. Do the same with your muscles. Where did you get your muscles? When did you get them? And if you're into maramataka, link it to the maramataka. And over time, that tells you a story of, um, you may be able to say, oh, I used to go, you, you will hear our, our our nannies and our kuddles and our aunties and uncles say, oh, when I was young, I used to go there and there used to be heaps of whatever. But um, keep a tally, that's mm. science. Wow. All science is, is evidence-based information and it's about um, noticing something and thinking, how can I find out? If you think, oh, or the, the kina are disappearing or there's too many or not enough, start taking just when you go out. Mm. Take a note.
0: As Māori, what is it that we need to be pushing for in Aotearoa? Because we align very much to a Western system and Western yeah. governance and Western, you know, and, and those values don't always align with our values. And there are there are rules around what we can and can't do in the moana or for, for the moana. But as Māori, what is it that we need to be pushing for and be uh, amplifying to support the health and wellness of our moana?
1: Change the way things are done. And only we can lead that. We need... Our world is dying. Not just our moana, our awa, our whenua, uh, globally. Mm. There's the devastating impact of humans and our greed and lack of love for Papa, for Papa Tuanuku. So we need to lead. We can do that. We know how to do that and we're good at that. And as we said earlier, and just change the way that things are done. And we're already doing that. So it's about... Reclaiming, but not just reclaiming, but leading it. And we are leading across the board mm. in different ways. I guess, don't give up, keep going, charge forward.
0: The money that you do, so I know that you have been part of establishing Te Tū Moana, um, which is a Māori postgraduate, is it a programme at the University of Waikato?
1: Uh, it's not a programme uh, yet. So it's, it's coming. Yes, they'll um, find out right now. Kia ora te pariwanang waikato.
0: Can you tell me? Can you, Are you allowed to tell
1: me a bit about it? Sure. All it is is um, so Te Toko Tumwana is a whakatauki and Toko rock Tumwana. So it's the rock that stands steadfast in the ocean. Mm. So it's the rock that never yields, never moves. It's battered by Tangaroa Hinemwana, but sits, sits firm, solid. And I'm, I'm clenching my fist like, yeah, like, mana hake. But so Te Toko tu mwana. So that's what the, the name is from that whakatauki. And so um, if you go into the science, uh, the further along you go, the fewer and fewer Māori that are there. Mm. And if you do marine science, even when you begin, there's maybe a handful of Māori, which I find astounding because we all love our moana. And that's all about access and science in the Western Academy. But um, so Te Toko Tumwana is just quietly gathered together um, just here in Tauranga one at the university here, um, Māori postgrad students and brought us together as a whānau. Where we sit, so it's not, it's not a paper and it's not a, a course that mm-hmm. they take and it's not a programme Yet, but, <laughs> um, but um, what it's about how we thrive best as a whānau, as a collective, and where we collaborate and kōrero and uh, science can be an isolating space for Māori, for Indigenous. So we have masters, PhD students and um, our summer school students, those who are just finishing their degree and we find out some projects for them to say, hey, have you thought about this? Yep, you can do this. Come on, hurry up. Let's go. And uh, and then as myself and another lecturer, then we're constantly trying to find funding for them to carry on with their studies.
0: You know, a lot of the time when we're doing this mahi, uh, with mahi that is impacting positively on society, impacting positively on our taiao, on our environment, many of us are doing it for free. Because it's what we need to do. And we're so passionate about it. And again, as you say, so passionate about inco- uh, outcomes, outcomes, <laughs> outcomes, well, pamariki and our mukapuna that we do it because it needs to be done. Yeah. But the reality is, <laughs> we can't always afford to do it.
1: Why should we always be voluntary?
0: Exactly. And Everyone
1: else is paid. Why shouldn't we be paid? And I'm
0: really interested to talk to you about this because I guess there's two perceptions. One perception is that um, this type of mahi is often voluntary. The other yeah. perception is that science has got big, bu- big bucks. And so anything that science is actually well paid and has lots of money. What is the reality? What is what is the reality? Can needs to be shaking my head, <laughs> pulling faces and shaking yeah, yeah. your head. Well, you know
1: like we were talking earlier about Ohiwa Harbor. Mm. So for um, at least 10 years we did that voluntary. Like you were saying, how we all do it. And uh, and then we might we might get a uh, we might get $2000 here from somewhere. We might find a little bit of putea here but it was voluntary. And uh, and science is expensive. Marine science is expensive because of all the gear, like the mm. boats and the dive gear and the divers and all the health and safety. So we were voluntary for a long time. And... Uh, and there is that perception that if you are iwi, if you are Māori, you should be free. don't no, excuse me. Every hui that you go to, mm-mm, click, click, head flick. <laughs> uh, you know, when you go to um, manage, when you go to hui with councils, they're all paid to be at the mm. table. Their petrol is paid. Even their pens are free from their mahi. So why should we always be voluntary? If they're paid, we should be paid. We bring mātauranga into generational knowledge as well as outside Western expertise, all of us do. But for Ohiwa, we applied for funding. So we had no money and we just, the and it was our, our hapū iwi partners and ourselves, we put in for um, funding proposals and we were really, fortunate that the National Sustainable Seas National Science Challenge uh, funded us. So we have funding through to uh, June 2023 to to, to, to restore our, but we're doing, we're restoring mussels and we're also looking at pipi, cockle, tuangi and um, sea stars because sea stars are a significant predator and they're what's eating our mussels sea stars freak me out. They are cool ass. <laughs> they you just need to, you have to alter your attitude. <laughs> Why do they freak you out?
0: They're just prickly looking things and they just lie there. And sometimes when you go out to a harbour that you don't know well, they're on the seafloor
1: and you touch them and it's not cool. Well, you know what? <laughs> Let this freak you out even more. When sea stars eat, generally the big ones, like there's ones called 11-arm sea star uh, or pātangarum, they take their, so they slime over top of the muscles and then they squeeze their arms around the muscle. So eventually the muscle can't take that pressure and it pops open. Then that awesome sea star, that pātangarum, takes his puku up, out his mouth, slimes his poku over the meat and the muscle and the cuckoo and then puts it back in his mouth, in his mouth <laughs> and back into his poku. You should be freaked out. They're amazing. Wow. That's... Oh, and, and sea stars are cousins to kina. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I can see the
0: cousins to kina thing with the look of them. Yeah. But mm, no, not,
1: mm Mm-mm-mm-mm. You're now right, that, to be Now
0: that it. you just told me that, I'm like, no, get away. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Don't put your book wow. anywhere near they, me. Well, they are, they are decimating <laughs> our muscles. And uh, not, not even just in Ohioa. Uh, te Kapumwana, mm. these have sea stars. Uh, Marble Sound, Setawihu, they have sea stars. Maketu, uh, Tefano, Apunui, those sea stars. But they're, mean, they're native, they're meant to be here well, I don't like them. We're not friends. Hey,
0: (laughs) you're not the only one to say that. (laughs) But I did like the kōrero you had about us sitting at the table with others and being paid. And I want to just go back to that a little bit because that is so important. You know, so many times I see wahine Māori, and I want to say wahine Māori, but it's, it's often lots of Māori, but wahine Māori sitting at the table with scientists, with engineers, with council representatives, with, you know, all of these people who have these titles who are sitting there getting paid to do this job and we are just expected to bring our mātauranga, to bring our passion, to to bring... and Exactly. And because we have such a heart for these kaupapa, we're just expected to continue to do that for the betterment of our people. Yet it's for the betterment of everybody. It's betterment of the community and the Mm. country as a whole. And I, I, I so totally what you say that we should be sitting in those spaces and being recognised for that, and not sitting there being the oh yes how am I come over here we'll tell you all of these things that you need to know and then they still do it wrong, and they still do it, f- not well. I don't want to say, say for it, you because say, <laughs> say it
1: loud. It's just so. Frustrating. Well, it, it is, and uh, and it has, and and it's still here. Mm. But you know, in terms of um, not being paid, so I was that wahine. Well, I still am in some ways, uh, depending on what the co opera is. And I was standing there presenting, and I had to drive and I somewhere to this hui, and there was people from the councils and DOC and MPI, all these people. And, uh, and at the end of the presentation, and it was a really good present. it went really well. And at the end, um, one of the managers from one of the councils um, made a statement and I just got really litty. I just saw red. And it was basically like, oh, well, so you can do that. Because this is when for that decade when we were doing the muscles in here that we were voluntary, that we paid for it all those years. And then I just um, had enough. And you know what? We shouldn't feel bad for wanting to be paid. Well, and who's going to pay for your petrol? Well, and I who's think that, put the bread that on the that's table? something
0: as well. You know, often when we have people that work in these spaces, whether they uh, are like you and have a science degree or whether they are, uh, you know, someone from their rohe who has the mātauranga Māori or the, you know... The, the or the teacher. or right. that has come down for them. We shouldn't feel bad for wanting to be paid because actually... Wake up bills.
1: <laughs> well, and and who's going to pay for the petrol exactly. to get you to that hui, and then all the all the other me around it, mm. and then if if you, so you have the option uh, of either turning up and paying for it yourself, and then eventually you can't sustain that, mm. and then that makes us look like we're apathetic, that we're not interested. So yes. We should get paid, just like everyone else does. I
0: I knew that was gonna happen, but I triggered myself a little bit with that part. <laughs> <laughs> hey, passion. Passion's a good thing. It's just one of those things I was like, oh this makes me so ho ha. Um, I wanted to ask you. We I asked us to all wahine and uh, that we all with Onnuku, and I wanted to ask you about an Indigenous woman who inspires you. And lots of um, people do talk about the wahine in their lives uh, and those that have gone on before them. And your one is your granny. Can you tell me, what, what was her name and can you tell me a little bit about her and how she fed into your journey?
1: I never met my granny. Oh. Mm. So? Well, wow. see, now that's even more interesting that, that someone who I, I never met her. She died before I was born. And her name is Riddy Peti Tumiwata. Mm. And um and you know, when when we first when we first started this whole corridor and I said that my whole life I was searching. Yeah. And it was her. And I didn't know that as a child, but I was just always looking and searching. And so she's our matriarch. Pōkaiina Mārai, Diri Piti Timiwata, is our queer. and she is the matriarch of our people. And uh, and is on the coast, which makes sense. Mm. But, um, but she drew you back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, and so so this taonga that I'm wearing, this was my was hers. And she gave it to her eldest daughter, who is my grandmother, and then my grandmother, and we call her Granny. Mm. But I didn't know that that was my Granny's name at the time. But um, and then my my Nan, my grandmother, gave it to my dad and said to him, "Him, you will know," but um, uh, but he wasn't to wear her. So this this haitiki is a female, and you can see. Oh yes. Yeah. So and she's passed down to the woman in our whanau. And so but I and I and he gave um he gave me this high when I was young like maybe 19 or 20 but I was so not ready hmm. and I was like oh no that's <laughs> even too big for me and it wasn't until I never wore her until I was uh twi- graduating with my my first with my early childhood degree um and I and even then I was like I'm not ready but my granny um my my great-grandmother is who Liddy Petty is. Um, and it's hard to say like, like, she's inspired me my whole life and I've never met her. I've never kissed her or hugged her, but um, she kept our people together. We're small, really small. Um, our iwi, we're really little. Um, and, and all my uncles and aunties are real humble, real gentle people. And the way that she set up the like the lands and managed everything, um, she did it um, inclusively, so no one's left behind. Mm. We have, uh, we're in Torangamwana, and if you look out, you, you'll see the island of Mortiti, and just to the right of or the east of Mortiti is another little island called Mutuno. That's our island, and so what my granny and and her and and our, and her before. Um, how we used to manage our island, because uh, we have titi and uh, tuatara, but titi, the mutton wow. birds. So uh, my, gran- my great-grandmother had seven children. So this year, your whanau as child number one, uh, only your whanau could go to the island to harvest titi. And while you were there, you also had a look around and then you came back to the marae and told everyone the state of the island, but you got your titi. And then the next year, child number two, their final would go. So every it would take seven years before it was your turn to go again. That's how we managed our island sustainably. Mm. But that's how we were also connected to our island because we still went. As soon as we're not allowed to go to our island, we don't know our island anymore. And that was Granny. I mean, why can't you tour? Mm. So I've always loved her, and the more I learn about her. The more I just, I don't know. I didn't even know the kufu.
0: If we think of the lessons that granny left and all of what you have come to learn over the years of being immersed in hine moana, what hopes do you have for the future of Indigenous wahine? Um,
1: my hopes uh, for the future... Is that we continue to lead and we do so with positive, proactive action. Mm. But that, uh, and talking about what we just talked about, my granny, but in um, and, and positive ways, which we uh, reshape and reclaim the world around us um, mm. for our sisters. I wanna cry. Mm. For our daughters. Of course. Mm. Do you stop it? You're making me cry. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things
0: <laughs> that, you know, we talk about um the future for Indigenous wahine and it's a question that I ask, you know, 60 wahine now I've asked. Mm. And... Every time someone answers this question, I, I get filled with so much hope and so much aroha and, and and moved knowing that if this is just your hope and you're actively making this happen, the next person and the next person and the next person, in the future is going to be great. And as a mama of a kōtiro, I am so... Oh. I guess hopeful is the word. Jeez, I need a new word. (laughs) But I'm so moved for her and for what she is going to come into in her time, knowing how passionate the wahine of today are about creating a future for her. Beautiful, eh? And it it is, there are no kupu to describe what that feels like. And there are no Kupu to describe how um, how many amazing wahine we get to meet through Nuku, knowing that this is only scratching the surface of who is out there and what you are all doing and how you are all contributing to our... We. Well, <laughs> you, I like to put it to you. <laughs> but how, how everyone contributes to this future that we talk about that's gonna be hopeful for our quartet or for our wahine. Um and I just, yeah, am, am always, always in awe of every single Wahine that I get to meet and I'm so thankful and I think I get overly thankful at the end of every podcast because I'm like, thank you so much for everything that you do. But I I mean it from the bottom of my heart and I know that those wahine that listen to this corridor mean it too. Thank you. Like a huge mahi to you for the mahi that you do because we wouldn't have what we have without... Your contribution, without your sacrifice, without you doing all that mahi for free, um, <laughs> at the time you were, without you prioritising Mātauranga Māori in a Western science space and bringing that to light, we, those muscles literally would not be in ohi wahaba if you had not, you know, woven that tikoka together to put into them one.
1: Well, but you know, but that idea was that the using the tikoka uh, was. Um, uh, another uh pooking awahine it was her idea, a weaver from Tefano Apenui, Ruka Roka Hurihi and Garimu Cameron. And that's
0: that's um, like, you know, I want to go home now and not be so frustrated at my tea cocoa that goes mm. sprawls itself all over my driveway. Um, but to actually collect it up and and just weave it and have it sitting there for who knows what. You could find it, yeah. Wow. Yes, <laughs> let's not talk about fire and ihumato, that's uh, on volcanic <laughs> <laughs> Um But I want to give you the last word. So if there is anything else that you would love to add, um,
1: you've got it. Um, you talked about your kōtiro, about your daughter. Mm. I'm a mama of two daughters, of two girls. How amazing for them to walk into a world like with just um, where they're encompassed and enveloped by wahine Māori. Isn't that beautiful? Mm. Powerful. <laughs> That's it.
0: That's it, because we're both going to burst into tears. I so know. we're going to turn this off. And um, <laughs> and uh, number 60, we are in a really good place for Nuku. We're getting, we're, we're over the halfway mark, which means we're coming closer to the end. And, um, for those of you that are listening to the are uh, listening to the podcast, I thank you for still being with us. Tell all your friends, get them all on board because our pukapuka is getting closer and I know you're going to want it because especially because we went out this morning and got some really amazing photos in the moana. <laughs> 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 all right. Ka kite, tēnā kui. <laughs> Kia ora.